Hey, everybody, and welcome back. This is Kelsey from the Brain Center of Green Bay, and you're listening to the Better Together podcast sponsored by Green Bay Packers Give Back and M2 Technology. This is the show where we explore ways we can maximize our brain health throughout our lives with sleep, nutrition, physical exercise, cognitive stimulation, the arts, and so much more. Today, we're talking about normal aging versus not normal aging with Sherry Furman. Sherry has over a decade of social work experience in working with the aging population and is the owner of Dementia Care Solutions here in Green Bay. Today, we'll be discussing everything there is to know about normal aging versus not normal aging and how the pandemic affected those with dementia and much more. Welcome, Sherry. Thank you so much for being here. Before we jump in, if you could just give our listeners a little background on yourself and what brought you to working with the aging population. I'm Sherry Fairman, owner of Dementia Care Solutions here in Green Bay, a consulting agency where I provide consulting to people with dementia, their care partners, and professionals. So whether it's questions about the disease itself or problem-solving challenging situations or ongoing support to keep a pulse on it as this disease progresses. I started working as a social worker in 2007, and I was working with pregnant teens. And in 2012, I started working with the Aging and Disability Resource Center, where I started working with elderly and disabled community members here in Brown County. I shifted my position from our information and assistance specialist into dementia care specialist, where I found my home. That was where my passion was. I cared for my mother who struggled most of her life. And I took care of her since I was a little girl, various ailments. And as she got older, she developed COPD, emphysema, diabetes, and just her general overall health declined. She ultimately was diagnosed with lung cancer. And All of this together ended up really creating a perfect storm for vascular dementia to start. And it's really interesting when you look in hindsight at dementia symptoms, because that's when you see it more clearly. So now I can think back to symptoms that I was thinking were stubbornness or just inconsiderateness. And now looking back, I can see that was dementia. And even while she was still with us, she passed away in 2019, I was able to see that vascular dementia and adjust how I cared for her. And I could see how using skill in caring for her made a huge difference in her quality of life, in our relationship, and in my experience. So I became even more passionate about quality dementia care just in that process. What are some things that care partners should be looking out for? with a loved one who may be exhibiting some of those signs? What would some of those initial, like, oh, maybe something is wrong with mom or dad? Great question, because we're always wondering, what is normal aging? What is something I should be concerned about? And so, you know, there's a lot of things that happen to our brains as we age normally. We should expect there to be changes. It's an organ like all the rest of our organs, and we're going to notice things like our processing speed is slower. It's going to take me longer to learn something as I get older. And so 
I might even have a harder time pulling out the word for something. Mm-hmm. And that would be that would be normal aging. We I always say, do you run as fast as you did when you were 20? And usually people say no. <laughs> and so, okay, well, then you should expect there to be some changes. Now, when it becomes concerning is, let's say, they don't remember that they'd asked you a question. Mm-hmm. And so they call you up and say something like, hey, I, I have a doctor's appointment on Thursday, what time is it at? You say it's at two o'clock and then they call you a little bit later and say, I have a doctor's appointment on Thursday. What time is it at? And you're like, you know, dad, I, you called me already. Now, if they say, I know I didn't write it down, normal aging. If they said I did now, that's different. That might be something to be concerned about. Does it mean that's dementia? Not necessarily. Mm -hmm. It's normal aging or not normal aging. It does take a doctor to Mm -hmm. dig in more to Mm -hmm. find out what's causing those symptoms. And it could be a variety of things that are reversible or correctable, fixable, helpful. Thyroid issues, vitamin deficiencies. You might be experiencing depression. You might have some underlying infection going on things that could be causing some of those symptoms that we can treat. It's through the doctor system that we get either imaging of the brain, neuropsych evaluations, perhaps in ideally discussions with the family to find out what else is going on to see if that's actually an irreversible dementia like Alzheimer's, Lewy body, frontal temporal dementia or vascular dementia are the four most common. So have you noticed... COVID, that with lack of socialization that we had for two years, do you think that has contributed to maybe some individuals aging more and maybe having some of these not normal aging signs showing up? Yeah, absolutely. Socialization is horribly underestimated as far as a human necessity. And so we learned that pretty hardcore when COVID hit. And we isolated. And the number of people with dementia who died during that COVID lockdown had increased so much. And it wasn't, they weren't passing away from COVID. They were passing away from isolation and loneliness. So I'm hoping that should we ever have to do anything or go back again, that we're taking seriously the consideration of isolation in overall health. So as humans, we need to be with other people. Now, we don't want to have a virus pass around and everything. We've got to find a way Mm -hmm. that doesn't involve total isolation for people who don't have dementia, but for people who have dementia, they decline so much faster Mm -hmm. in in an isolated environment. And two, in those instances, I mean, even looking back on COVID, you were at least able to visit through a window, but that wasn't enough. You add in, you know, maybe they're hard of hearing and, you know, you're just waving through a window, right? And so for somebody with dementia who's living in a different reality than mm-hmm. the rest of us, isn't tracking with what's happened most mm-hmm. recently, 
generally speaking, you know, sometimes they pull on some of it and they can kind of hold, okay, well, there's a virus going on. But why you're behind the window and not coming in here doesn't always make sense to me. And it's upsetting, more upsetting than if you didn't come at all. Same with Zoom or FaceTime. You know, people with dementia often they get confused with time and where they are in time and those layers of time that we have so nicely separated in a healthy brain get crisscrossed and mashed up. And so when I'm thinking about talking to you through a screen, like I don't do that. I I can remember having a, a screen in my home of people mm-hmm. talking a television, but it never talked to me or expected me to mm-hmm. interact. So I'm going to have a hard time relating to FaceTime and none of this is rule for everybody. Exactly. But it, it it was common that those interventions just were more harmful than helpful. Yeah. You had mentioned having some challenges in the moment with a loved one when they're not fully understanding what's going on. What's the best way to redirect and help your loved one maybe calm down and understand the situation? Great question. So I have created an approach to dementia care specific to communication called the fish approach. And so um, if you imagine that people with dementia are like fish in the water and the water's their reality, that's where they live. And we are all up here on land and this is our reality and this is where we live. And so when we pull a fish out of water, they don't like it. They flip, they flop, They gener- and generally speaking, We do that when we're reasoning, convincing, arguing, explaining, orienting. And I think I named them all, but there might be one more. And I do have a tip sheet on them. So when we find ourselves trying to respond to somebody who's having a challenge in their moment with, you're fine. I have to be on the other side of the window because of the virus. We are essentially pulling the fish out of water. If they're saying, I want to go home, and we're saying, you are home, we are orienting. We're pulling the fish out of water. If they're saying, somebody stole my wallet, and we say, no, you put it someplace, We are explaining to them we're pulling the fish out of water and they don't tend to respond well to that because if we get in the water with them, we see someone stole their wallet. Somebody stole my wallet. Somebody else telling me I put it somewhere is going to be bull because I know I didn't put it somewhere in my reality. So when we get in in their reality with them, Now we're in a situation where we can meet them where they're at. So my number one recommendation is to reflect. This gives us an opportunity to pause because we can kind of get a little triggered when we're like, I don't know what to say. This gives us an opportunity to kind of pause and be like, ooh, you're worried about your wallet or you're thinking about home Mm -hmm. or you're wondering why I'm on the other side of this black. Just a reflect. What we're doing is we're taking people from one moment that can be where we pulled them out of the water and we're causing some challenges. And we're in this moment 
a reflect is a nice way to just move them a little bit over to this moment. Mm -hmm. And when we move them to this moment, we have to move too, because now they're in a place where you've just heard me. Yeah, I want to go home. And now we, now we communicate with them there. We might offer a question. Do you need something? You just want to be there. So now we're, and we're talking slow and we're giving lots of pauses and we're not giving so many words and we're using our hands because this hand motions, tone of voice, facial expressions are going to have way more meaning than what comes out of our mouth. So to, to answer your question, the first thing is a reflect and we want to reflect and then hear what they say, not offer more, more, more. Hear what they say. You're thinking about home. See what they say back. Well, yeah, I've got to get there. You've got to get there. So I'm not, you know, I'm not saying I stole your wallet. I, you stole my wallet. I stole your, you're worried about where your wallet And then they could say, yeah, you stole it. Wow. Wow. Oh, you're, you're worried. I stole your, they are feeling heard. This is something we skip over mm-hmm. in caregiving. We often go to the, Oh, here it is, and think we solved the problem, but we didn't necessarily. As humans, we are hardwired to the negative, and mm-hmm. what's happening in our brain, of a healthy brain, we can figure it out. We can cope and wire it, and we're like, oh, yeah, well, that makes total sense. I left mm-hmm. it over there. But in a brain that has dementia, they're going with their primitive brain, and this is the part of the brain that kind of goes last dementia and gets really fired up as the disease progresses because it's the fright, fight, and flight, that mm-hmm. primitive brain. I'm not going to come up with a good story. You took my wallet and you're trying to cover. You're saying, I did, I moved it over there, but I know you had it. You know, so we want to reflect. Very first thing is reflect. Validating. So offering, you know what, that's got to be really upsetting. Or I would be mad too if that happened to me. That validating is huge. And then we can slide into an apology. And, and I'm talking in vague things right now, but you know, an apology is huge. I am sorry, Kelsey. That should not have happened to you. And I think that kind of gets... We're, our society is so... We want to problem solve and just make any problem go away like it never happened. But I also think I've noticed a change in how we treat the older generation. And I've seen like people just talk down to them and invalidate them and make them feel like they're just... You're not needed and your opinion doesn't matter and no one stole anything. It's just, that's not the way that you would want to be treated. Right. Terms of endearment, like mm-hmm. sweetheart and mm-hmm. honey and and dear. Mm-hmm. Now, if they like that, great, but we need to make sure that that's something yes. that they're okay with. But we will often dismiss <laughs> them and, you know, like, they're, excuse me, could you help me get home? Oh, you're fine, honey. I'll yeah. be back. Yeah. Whoa. You could literally see the life drain out of their face with just that. Because we think the unmet need is finding the wallet. And that actually isn't. I want to talk about what Tifa Snow's positive mm-hmm. approach care. Sure. So Absolutely. Big disclaimer that a lot of the information I get and a lot mm-hmm. of the service I provide is guided by Tipa Snow's positive approach to care. If you see a presentation from me, you're going to see slides that I have permission to use. I have a certification as a trainer 
with her organization, mm-hmm. as well as a consultant. And I am now on staff as a mentor. So she contracts with me to do some virtual support. So Tipa Snow is an occupational therapist. She just, through her experience working in her younger years with um, kids with disabilities, she started to just naturally develop a way to communicate with them, to approach them, to utilize the Mm -hmm. skills they have in caring with them and not for them. And you can go looking for a lot of different ways and a lot of different Mm -hmm. approaches to dementia care. And for me, everything settled back to she's already figured it out. And I'm a huge fan of not recreating any wheels. Definitely. So she's already got an approach. And not only is the approach person-centered, so it puts that person with dementia in the center where we can understand what they're experiencing. So learners of hers will learn Mm -hmm what that person with dementia is experiencing through their five senses, what might be happening with them, with their auditory, their ability to understand what's being said, how things feel for Mm -hmm. them, what's happening in the brain. And so that whole walk. Mm -hmm. And then she also uses adult experiential learning cycle Mm -hmm. when she's training. So Mm -hmm. when you're learning from her, you're not just gaining knowledge. It's transferred over to skill. And so many times we watch webinars or YouTube and mm-hmm. she says, please do watch all of that stuff mm-hmm. because increasing knowledge is important. But when we want to apply that knowledge to a situation, we have to practice. We have to work together and we have mm-hmm. to role play, which is not everybody's favorite, but it's my thing. We have to do that because we're creating new neural pathways in our brain. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, We have to do it again and again and again. So she does what's called a positive approach to care. And that is really looking at what that person with dementia, what skills they have retained and using that in our care. Because when we focus on what's lost, we're not left with anything to do with. Okay, well, now you can't do your own personal cares. And that's a lot for putting that back in someone's face. Saying like, you can't do that. You can't personal hygiene or your personal care, it just makes, you can tell it just kind of shrinks them. Instead, we say, how can I help you with being independent? And so I might be supporting you in your independence for as long as possible throughout Mm -hmm. the disease. And that just looks different as the disease progresses, but we use what skills you retain. So that's, in essence, her, her approach. In regards to care partners, What are some things that they should keep in mind or individuals around that care partner can do to help them while they care for them? So the care partner support system? Yeah. So first of all, people caring for somebody with dementia tend to hold that pretty tight. They don't necessarily openly share with a lot of people that they're in this position or that their loved one is struggling or not struggling. I shouldn't say that because they may not be struggling, may have been diagnosed with dementia. Mm -hmm. And so when we're, when, when we are allowed in that circle, someone says, Hey, my husband has dementia and it's been getting a little tricky. I've been worried about leaving him home more than an hour. We're talking about building a team. You cannot care for somebody with dementia or with most things, but I focus on dementia. You can't care for them without 
the team and you build your team as a care partner, a person with dementia. I have somebody I work with who's, he's captain of his team and he's got, I could name him off who his team is. But a lot of times the care partner is the captain along with their loved one with dementia. And we start pulling people in. We start saying to our adult children who we might've been protecting, it's time to let you know that I'm starting to get worried. What if something happens to me? You need to know he, you know, he can't live alone. So we start building our team together. So if somebody comes to us and tells us, and when we say, let me know if there's anything I could do, that is wonderful. But that care partner who needs the help doesn't know what that means. So I work with care partners to be direct and specific. Oh, thank you so much. What specifically are you able to do? Because if you, I mean, you could, I'll stay with him for a weekend while you go away with your girlfriends, or I'll take your garbage can from the curb back to the garage. What do you mean? Right. And I also encourage care partners to tell people, don't take on more than you can handle long-term. This is a marathon. So what I need is good, consistent support. And so if, if you can, can stick to, I can come once a week. I can come Thursday afternoons for a couple hours and play checkers. That gives me a break so that I can go and have coffee with my friends. Even just run an errand is not as much fun or respite, but it can be if you don't have to take your loved one with dementia this time. So I'm talking about peeling back the shell and saying, mm-hmm. let's expose it because mm-hmm. it takes a village. Mm-hmm. When somebody gets a dementia diagnosis, it takes a village and mm-hmm. we have to work together and we have to pick up pieces. I'm on care teams. We're all on a care team, hopefully in some way. I mean, it could very well be the mailman. Mm-hmm. He happened to notice your grandma walking down the street, you yeah. know, and wait a minute, mm-hmm. you know, hey, <laughs> I was just looking for you. I was just going to your house. Can I walk you there? Or something. Now he's on the team that he has a responsibility, but he kind of took it. And so, yeah. And when you say it takes a village, have you noticed that the, we as a community doing all that we can to support individuals who have dementia in our community? Well, right now in Brown County, there are 17,000 people with dementia. And every person with dementia has at least two care partners. And so there's a huge chunk of our community that is managing and dealing with particular disease. I chair the Brown County Dementia-Friendly Community Coalition. And part of that coalition is working on initiatives like training businesses and organizations through Purple Angel. And Purple Angel is a free 30-minute training that you can get that is, it is adjusted to meet your specific needs. So if you're a bank you're going to get training about things that you would want to know at a bank versus a gym versus a hair salon. And so, and, and it's free. You mm-hmm. get this cool sticker, but mm-hmm. basically telling you how to recognize it when somebody's having some memory changes and what kinds of things can you do different. I had worked with somebody who needed her husband, needed a new pair of shoes, and she couldn't leave them in the car, but he refused to wear a mask. And this was when COVID mm-hmm. was And so she couldn't bring him in the store and the store wouldn't understand that or find any way to accommodate. And so she really struggled to get him shoes that would fix. They never fit right. So 
things like that is how can we accommodate them? Mm -hmm. We give them a section where they they stay and then, Mm -hmm. then, you know, they go and help him because of dementia. So we have the Purple Angel program. We also have memory cafes is a great opportunity for people with dementia and their care partners to get out and access the community, botanical gardens. We have the Spark program, which is like a memory cafe. It's Mm -hmm. at the Neville Museum. And these are activities for people to do, whether there's a speaker, a crafty thing, just an engagement opportunity. Sometimes they go bowling. And so those opportunities are there. We also have our education subcommittee that works, developed a dementia resource guide Mm -hmm. to help care partners get connected to the services that would be available to them and people mm-hmm. with dementia. We have Barkhouse and Waterfall Preserve, which is a great place mm-hmm. for people to go. It's got a sensory woods for people with dementia, but then it's really for anybody of all mm-hmm. ability. So if you haven't been there, check that out. But are we doing enough? Probably not. There's so much more we can do, and it just takes us lifting that lid of a stigma off of this disease Mm -hmm. and talk and not talk about it in a in a in a in a general way like when you say somebody's caring for somebody with dementia Mm -hmm. that's just a nice little sentence (laughs) but if you actually said what that might look like for them i haven't slept in days i've been cleaning up accidents and got maybe bruises didn't go so well in my approach and that's what's happening in their home but they're very protective because of the stigma they don't want people to know you know i don't want to affect the dignity of my loved one so i'm going to keep it secret and i think that's the biggest part what are ways do you think that we can reduce the stigma around dementia talk people with dementia talk about it. I was just talking to a gentleman recently and and he was asking me, is there any way I can do a presentation with you and I can share Mm -hmm. with people what it's like to have the disease? That would be amazing. Right. Because people don't talk about it because of the stigma. So it's this cycle Mm -hmm. that we have to figure out how to break. So I just talk about it. Just say it. I talk about the things I've done in caring for my mom that wasn't helpful as I was learning better. And even when I knew better, I still made mistakes and that's okay. And that people with dementia feel like they can talk. Some of the people on Tipa Snow's team have Mm -hmm. dementia. So if you attend one of her virtual trainings, they log on, they have a role they do some education. They're very helpful and and they're retired, but they're working. They're on staff. They're getting paid for this because there's that sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes we don't see a sense of purpose when somebody has dementia anymore. They do do all the way through and it's on us to figure that out. What, what is their sense of purpose? It's beautifully put. It is. And so what are some resources or literature that individuals who are a care partner could pick up and just kind of have in their back pocket to keep at home to kind of help them out before, maybe if they're not ready yet to really ask for help could be, you know, I could go to Barnes and Noble and pick up a book that maybe could help me get to that next step. 
So just like people with dementia being as unique and individual mm-hmm. as and and you cannot compare them really to anybody else, mm-hmm. same as care partners. So I have worked with care partners who have loved books like My Two Elaines from our former Governor Marty Schreiber. Lovely book. A lot of the gentlemen I work with really really love it. And he he comes around and does does interviews and things like that. So absolutely wonderful asset. Some people don't want to read about other people's experiences mm-hmm. to figure out how to cope with their own. And so there's there's books like that, books mm-hmm. about that aren't about the experiences, but the positive, like mo- mm-hmm. finding moments of joy. Tipa Snow has a book out that's talking specifically about the brain changes. You're kind of an academic level, like tell me what's happening in the brain. So there's lots of different things. Mm-hmm. So you can also go online. The National Institute of Aging has documents and things to read. The Alzheimer's Association is loaded with really great information. It is like a library itself. And then Tipa Snow's Positive Approach to Care has all kinds of videos blogs, mm-hmm. podcasts, and videos you can purchase, material you can purchase. Mm-hmm. A lot of it's free. So we're all different in how we learn. Mm-hmm. Some people are, I just want to watch it. I just need to hear it. I need to do something mm-hmm. to role play it. Or, you know, I, I want to read it. I just need to have it in my hand and read it. Or I want to read it on a screen. So we have to figure out what is our way that we take in our information and what is our way that we actually absorb it and apply it and find it. And we're living in an era where we can actually access all of that. Mm-hmm. Even from an in-person discussion with somebody mm-hmm. like myself, I started the, this agency because there isn't one. Mm-hmm. There, There isn't. The state of Wisconsin did an amazing feat when they created the Dementia Care Specialist Program with the Aging and Disability Resource Centers and have expanded that across the state now. Mm-hmm. All the ADRCs have a Dementia Care Specialist. And that fills a huge gap. But services like mine, where I can actually provide consulting, mm-hmm. go to a day programming place, help problem solve a particular situation for for a person with dementia, for their care partners. Mm-hmm. I can go into a facility and actually do a shift on the floor and coach people right there while mm-hmm. they're working because we're in a caregiver crisis. We are. And so you can't necessarily take everybody and put them in a workshop. Well, there's nobody to work the floor mm-hmm. then. So mm-hmm. I've been creative with that in in my role. One of the things I say is when you have, if you're struggling with depression, you've lost somebody, it's a year later and you're thinking, I thought I'd be further along, but I'm still just really grieving. I might need to see a counselor. Or you have a wedding coming up and you want to fit into that suit or whatever, you think, I better hire a personal trainer. When people get a dementia diagnosis and them themselves and their care partners walk out of the doctor's office with a folder with Mm -hmm. some information, they don't think, I need to contact a dementia care consultant. Mm -hmm. That isn't a thing. Mm -hmm. It's a common knowledge thing. Yet. Yet. Yeah. I encourage any other person out there who is passionate about dementia care mm-hmm. has the skills and wants to do something like me, yeah, there's no such thing as competition in this mm-hmm. field. As as it becomes more of an expectation that mm-hmm. 
we learn skill. We don't just gain knowledge when we're caring for people with dementia. We gain skill, which means we're going to have to do something that's interactive with, mm-hmm. with an expert. And I like what you said. It's community over competition. This is a community. And we can't just say there can only be one in the field. There needs to be so many. And this might be me not knowing enough, but are there dementia care specialists across the United States or is this just unique to Wisconsin? So Wisconsin itself created the Dementia Care Specialist Program. Okay. Um, and so cool. that is unique, mm-hmm. but it, it is getting a lot of attention across the United States. Other communities are looking into replicating it, which is perfect because, and I love the model. And that's mm-hmm. why when I left to do my private practice, I was super excited about having a teammate mm-hmm. in that role, filling that gap. I'm over here filling this gap. Mm-hmm. It takes a village. Mm-hmm. I consider myself a member of the team. Someone, somebody would like me to be on it, but so is the ADRC and so is the Brain Center. It's the Alzheimer's Association and so is the facility or the home care agency or the day programming or the homebound meals. We are all on the team as long as people are willing to bring us on, as long as the captain's saying, okay, you can be on my team. Mm-hmm. And then the overall care for that person with dementia is going mm-hmm. to improve. And then the care partner is going to have a better quality of life because you cannot do it on your own no. for long. No. And I've noticed that too with individuals in my life where I know some, I'm not an expert in it, but I know what's out there and I need to be better at not pushing for them to do something until they're ready mm-hmm. and just letting them know that I'm here when they are ready. And that they can talk to me and not particularly being like, you need to do this. You need to call mm-hmm. this person and just letting it happen well. Yeah, exactly. We don't need to pull people along. Mm-hmm. This is not a disease. We control and pull. This is a disease where we ask, how can I support you? Where we reflect is they, if they're saying, you know, I'm starting to wonder about my own brain health, where I, and then I say, you're starting to wonder about your own brain health. Tell me more. Well, because I was doing something, then I walked away and, and I came back and I totally didn't remember starting it, yet it was sitting there started. Oh. So you actually started something and then came back and had forgotten it was started. Yeah. So that, that's concerning to you. You know, so now I'm having, I'm not telling them that, okay, that's That's, not right. You know, we want to, we want to, because it isn't my life, it's their life. And so what, so when you feel concerned about it, what kinds of things are you thinking that you could do? Yeah. And then if they can't think of anything, I might say, I might have some ideas. Is it okay if I share them with you? And then, and if they want to do it, they, they can do it. If not, they know that we're a safe place because we didn't try to control and steer. Instead, we just supporting them. Support. That's beautiful. It's so true. And I need to be better at that in my own life. Well, I'm sure you are just fine. <laughs> I think we are all really hard on ourselves. Oh, yes. More than anything, especially as care partners. We feel resentful or guilty and and it's just helpful to yourself mm-hmm. or to the person. One of the, the Tipa Snow mentors who has dementia mm-hmm. was saying, 
Guilt has no place in this relationship. If my husband is doing something out of guilt, I don't want it. That's Mm -hmm. not what I want. And so we somehow find ourselves guided by guilt. I tell people, think about regret. If it's guilt that you're feeling, there's not a lot of growth there. Because with guilt, usually if you think back to something you feel guilty about, oftentimes if you had a chance to do it over again, you would do the same thing, but I feel guilty. Now, regret is different. When we're feeling regretful, we think back of something we've done. And if I had a chance to do that again, I would do that different. Now we have opportunity to grow and learn. So if it's guilt, that's not going to get you anywhere. It's just going to bring you down and bring your loved one down. So mm-hmm. it's hard to let go. But it's Mm -hmm. a good little filter. We are changing our brains. We are changing and creating new neural pathways as we're learning to care for people. And so we don't do that because we did it once. We build those neural pathways because we do it again, again, and again. I think I heard that a 25-year-old has to repeat something about 40 times before it actually sticks. Wow. And an 80-year-old has to do it about 400 times. Oh, wow. So think about where you are between those in your age and figure out how many times you have to practice something. Because if it were so easy to start a new habit, then we'd all be doing it all the time. Exactly. But we often start and we do it a little bit. It's usually about six weeks of continuous practice that we actually mm-hmm. have create a new habit, a new behavior. And that's what we're trying to do with care partners. Wonderful. Well, thank you. And individuals can go to your website to get more information and to contact you. And we're just so happy that you're here with us today. Thank you so much. This has been wonderful. If you're hearing this message, you've listened to the entire episode of Better Together with the Brain Center of Green Bay. And for that, we want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We also want to thank our season sponsors, Green Bay Packers Give Back and M2 Technology, along with our sustaining sponsor, Festival Foods. We hope you enjoyed this new episode, and if you did, please leave us a review and share this episode with others who may be interested in this topic. Feel free to let us know what topics you'd like to see covered in future episodes, and get in touch in the comments or on the Brain Center's social media networks. We'll see you in the next episode.